0: everyone. Rebecca here. I just wanted to let you all know that the official Patreon page for How the Fuck Did You Get So Confident is now live. We're offering things like early access to episodes, video recordings of episodes, bonus content, and more. So head on over to patreon.com slash how the fuck to subscribe. Thanks for listening. Welcome to How the Fuck Did You Get So Confident? My name is Rebecca, and this is the podcast where I interview my friends, peers, and strangers to figure out, well, how the fuck they got to be so confident. In this episode, I chat with storyteller, public speaker, and anecdotist, Mo Barrett. We discuss that you're more than your career, how most successes start out as failure, the benefits of doing the work so you can then let it go and be in the moment, and so much more. This is How the Fuck Did You Get So Confident? with guest Mo Barrett. hey Matt.
1: hello how are you
0: i'm so good thank you so much for joining me um thank you for having me this is so cool yeah i'm so pumped to talk to you um so first first of all tell everybody like who you are and what you do because your website says you're an anecdotist is am i saying that right okay yeah um because i know what an anecdote is but i've never met an anecdotist so ah well nice to meet you (laughs) yeah yeah i would love for my listeners to just get sort of a rundown for for who you are and what you do and what you're passionate about before we sort of do a deep dive into confidence, if you don't mind.
1: Absolutely. That's perfect. So I am actually a a retired Air Force officer. And um, now I am an anecdotist, which is a person who tells anecdotes, which is just a fancy way of saying uh, storyteller. But really, I'm just out uh, finally getting uh, started to get comfortable in my non-conformist skin, which was difficult after 30 years in the military. Um, right. But I'm out to to use stories from everyday life to help people laugh, learn and think. That's that is what I'm passionate about. So, I you know, with, with the improv stuff, you get you get the the whole oh, laughing thing. So, I do. I do. Totally so you
0: that. do like your keynote speaker, you do workshops. um you do, you sort of run the gambit and things in your offerings, what you offer to people, like, right. which is very cool. You can sort of like mold what they need, mm-hmm. um, what your skills are for what they need, which is very, right. which is very cool and interesting.
1: Um, so what does confidence mean to you? Ah, see, I knew you were going to ask that question too. First question <laughs> these days. I know, honestly, for me, confidence, and this is the thing that I'm starting to learn is realizing and trusting and knowing that you are more than your labels i think especially now we get caught up in all these labels of so i'm a half-asian gay female military academy grad you know retired officer but those are just labels and, and and what you are is not who you are so it's just being confident in that
0: wow that's a really no one's really worded it like that before but that's so true it's like but then it's like, you kind of have to have a label for people to like, be able to know who you are and like the offerings that you give, but then mm-hmm. realize that you're more than that, you know? Right. Cause like, I have to, people have to know I'm an actor, performer, writer, but that's not who I am. Like you right. said, that's just what I do or what I'm yeah. passionate about. That's right. a really wonderful way to word it. Um, oh, thank you. And do you consider yourself a confident person?
1: I don't think I'm a confident person. I'm a I think I'm a person who has moments of confidence.
0: Um, mm. But
1: I, I think and I think there's I've thought about that too because it, what's been interesting about listening to your different different guests that you've had on is it's been amazing how many people don't consider themselves confident people. Most And yeah, most. isn't that cr- isn't that crazy? And that was one question I had for you is have you found that, that your definition of your interpretation of confidence has evolved over the past year that you've been doing this?
0: 1,000%. Um, I can say that this podcast has completely changed who I am, um, which is wild, but it's not just... Um, I mean, one, it, it's twofold. It's listening to people's tips and tricks and what they've been through, what's helpful for, what's helpful for them what, uh, what they like their routines, things like that. Like it's incorporating that, but it's also starting something that was once nothing. And now it's in existence and finishing it from beginning to end and like learning the new skills that go along with it. It's like, I didn't know how to work this before, (laughs) before this podcast. Like I knew, you know, from being an actor, I know how mics work, but I don't, I didn't know like the intricacies of it or editing software. I didn't know exactly how to do that or promotional art. I didn't know how to do that. So it's mostly like picking up new skills in addition to learning the tips and tricks from other people. So it's been, I mean, truly life changing for me, this podcast. Um, and my definition of competence has also shifted because I thought that it was, I thought it looked the same for everyone. I thought mm-hmm. it was this like, um, not loud, but uh, uh, a big presence, a, a big presence with um, knowing what to say, how to say it, feeling comfortable, being big, but it's actually not that and it actually is different for every person and right. i can be confident and you might not know it because i'm not like portraying what we've seen on tv or media as like a confident person right and it's also been interesting i don't um interview a ton of white males i don't know if this is uh, <laughs> this is um uh what's the word controversial or not but i'm like we we've heard your stories already uh, We know it. And the few that I have interviewed, it's interesting because a couple of them are like, yeah, I'm confident. And I'm like, oh, this is so different from like, you know, different ethnicities, different backgrounds, different (laughs) genders, different sexual orientations, all of that. It's just interesting hearing like a cis white male perspective and how different it is from the, from other people in this world, depending on like what challenges we've gone through and experienced, which is also very interesting. Um, do you consider yourself? Oh, wait, we already did that. You sometimes do sometimes don't. (laughs)
1: Depends on the moment.
0: (laughs) What areas do you, what areas do you feel confident
1: in? I think anything where I've prepared and mm. I, I'm a big what-ifer. So if like even if we're having a party or something like that, like okay, if it rains, we're gonna do this. If we run out of forks, mm. we're gonna do this. And so I try to pre-think out some of the problems we might have. And then I think what that allows you to do is is be ready for the other thing that's gonna go wrong because nothing's gonna go perfect, you know. No, and never. I think the one thing I love about improv is that um people don't understand that you have to rehearse improv Like mm. they think improvising is just, just getting up there and, and, mm. you know, and I'm, I'm not as deep into improv as you are with you yeah. know, UCB and other things like that. But yeah. um, to practice the skill of listening and doing the yes and and not negating somebody else's um, but just what ifing things and just being ready yeah. for that. So like, I think the more you've, what if something, and you've thought about all the things that could go wrong, then you are prepared and confident for when something else is going to go wrong.
0: Right, and it's usually like the mistakes are like these beautiful accidents in improv and like, because they usually provide like the most laughter. Um, And I think that's like a good parallel for life too is like what may look in the moment a mistake or a failure or a shortcoming. In retrospect, later on, you'll be able to go, Oh, that's why that happened. But right. like in the moment, it's so hard to know that.
1: Right. There's but a like, there's a beauty in that imperfection. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And it's like a de- like you said, it's like adapting to the changes that come to us yep. and knowing how to like pivot. Essentially, yep. I think pivoting yep. is pivoting is so important, especially in this year with COVID. Like, did, oh did you God. experience the yeah the need to pivot, whether it was professionally or um, in your own life?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just this, this whole zoom, like mean, you went from having coffees in person to we're chatting with, with yeah. zoom. And, and then there's all these blessings in that too. It's just like, um, being able to talk to somebody in England or Australia you talk to your friend from Australia and it's just like, okay, so now we can shrink the miles a little bit, but I still miss that in-person energy. You just, you just cannot replace that, that. I know. I mean, I'm so I, done with this.
0: <laughs> I know me too. I mean, I'm used to performing multiple times per week live and now, Nothing. And and most of my peers are the same way. And so we're all like, when are we going to get back on stage? Is, is there
1: an end in sight? Because I heard like Broadway starting to open, but is there an end in sight? I heard Broadway
0: is opening in the fall. Okay. Is that what you heard? Yeah. I don't. Yeah. um So I don't know. I haven't heard about Los Angeles theaters. I don't know that we're there yet to having that mm-hmm. conversation. Um, maybe we are. And I just haven't heard of it, but I haven't heard of anything. <laughs> haven't got <gotten> the memo. <laughs> no, I haven't gotten the memo from the Hollywood Peeps, that we are opening theater (laughs) but I'm very excited for that day um were you a confident kid
1: I don't think so I think I was very unsure of myself and I knew I was weird but um I wasn't comfortable in my weird yet so I hadn't embraced my cork quite yet
0: yeah where are you from
1: I'm from the DC area so I'm the last of six kids so yeah I was uh, oh wow
0: you're the youngest
1: yeah the baby
0: how did that impact your confidence at all? Cause you saw your older siblings like operating in the world before yeah. you, or maybe you, they went to the same school as you, but like at a different time. So they kind of were already there. What was that sort of impact on you being the youngest? Of six? So
1: our dynamic was a little bit different. So my, my five older siblings are significantly older than me. Mm. And then my dad, that was from a first wife, but like I didn't know till I was 12 that these siblings were half or step or whatever you call it. They were Wait. just my brothers and sisters. So, um, i think just kind of growing up with that was another thing where it wasn't labeled the same way everybody else i didn't i didn't have step brothers and step sisters or half brothers and half sisters they were just my brothers and sisters and so i think again that's where that label thing kind of started in my head about it's more than that it's just that was who my family was and that's what it looked like yeah Um, but no go go ahead no no, you go go. no you go go. go. no you go you go go. (laughs) 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 at the same time. yeah, but I think it was one of those things where, like, my siblings called my mom by her first name, and they all had glasses, and they all drank iced tea at dinner, and I was drinking milk, I didn't have glasses, and I called my mom, mom, and so I was like, what age is it when I get my glasses, I I can drink iced tea at dinner, and I can call my mom by her first name, it was just, I just thought that was some kind of rite of passage that I wasn't going to get, and that's what started the whole conversation of these aren't, you know, biologically we have the same dad, and that's it. But
0: how did that affect you learning that information at age twelve? You said,
1: yeah, yeah, um, it, it made me realize that again. Your family is, it, again, it's just another label. So like, there's some people that have a black sheep in their family; they don't have great relationships. But um, it's what you do with those relationships. You can label it, and you can, like, I think you know, like the ugly stepsister from Cinderella's got mm-hmm. a, you know, moniker that in, in an imagery, imagery that comes with that moniker. But it's what you do with that label that makes more of a difference. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So don't- I don't know that it had anything to do with my confidence, but it definitely, uh, you know, changes the way you look at all your relationships.
0: Totally. And it's also like important reminder to those of us who like have to create our own families, like right. out of friendships, like it, they right. don't always have to be blood family to be family. Right. Um, yep. Which I think is really important because we're not all blessed to be in these wonderful blood families right if, if you will you know you can yeah. make your own family yeah. um so you grew up in dc did you go to elementary school and middle school and high school there
1: i did and i'm was, actually i'm yeah. actually back in the house that i grew up in so i'm like Ooh. five five doors down so i'm taking care of the house for my mom but uh,
0: oh that's nice that so. must be wild a wild experience to be back it is, in that it area is different
1: yeah it's different to be calling my friends parents by their first name. It, yeah. It, it's it's kind of it is weird, but
0: <laughs> Sometimes we uh. have to pivot. We just talked about that and here we are yeah. No, my Gosh. internet, my internet must have went down for a second so then I took advantage and moved to a location closer to the router so that that wouldn't happen again. I'm so
1: sorry. Yeah. No worries. No okay, worries. so we were
0: talking about what your schooling like uh growing up in the Washington DC area. Did you have um, an easy time with school? Was it hard for you? What were sort of your what were your strengths? What were maybe some things that you wanted to work on, or uh, I don't know, any sort of yeah. confidence shakers that occurred during that time?
1: Confidence shakers. So I uh, I was I had made the decision I wanted to apply to the Air Force Academy. So I went to my guidance counselor, and uh, he basically laughed at me and he's like Michelle, he goes you aren't smart enough, your grades aren't good enough, your standardized test scores aren't high enough you should just set your sights on a safety school, like community college. And I tell you what, there's nothing more motivating than someone who doesn't believe in you. So I, holy shit, yeah. So I'm just like, you know, big middle finger to you. And yeah. uh, that's what happens when you make a, the, the head football coach or guidance counselor.
0: Oh but, <laughs> yeah. 1000%. Yeah. That's cleverly
1: disguised. Yes, absolutely. Um,
0: so, well, okay. But I have a couple of questions from that. Um, what made you want to join the air force to begin with?
1: So my dad was in the Army Air Corps during World War Two, and my brother was in the Air Force. So I always knew it was gonna mm-hmm. go into the Air Force. Um, and so I I didn't know, I, I just assumed I was gonna to go to the same college my brother did. And at the time I also didn't want to fly. I just didn't think that was, just wasn't on my radar to be a pilot or anything else like that. But this, when I got to the Academy, all these things just started opening up these opportunities. And uh, and so one thing led to another, but yeah, my initial impetus was to try it. It was an Air family. Force,
0: yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. And then what, so when your guidance counselor said like, "Mm, you're never going to, you can't get into this thing. Like how did that affect you? Cause that's a young, you're at a young age and being told like, you can't do this thing. Yeah. So I, I mean, our educators are supposed to go, you can do it. You know, shoot for the stars. How can I help support you in this endeavor? Right. Not, "Mm, you can't do that thing.
1: Yeah. Just just to be be shot down. I just, yeah. I, I don't know if I believed him on some level and I just wanted to, like, just kind of prove him wrong. I don't know what, what motivated me, but I, I was really pissed off. And so, a lot yeah. of times it was just now I did apply to the Air Force Academy and I didn't get in the first try and I did right. have to go to community college, but I applied again and then got in. And then I went back in my uniform to go see him. He's like, Michelle, I always knew you'd get in. I'm like, shut up. <laughs> you know, but.
0: <laughs> so, how did that like? Okay, so he tells you you can't do the thing, you do it anyway, you don't get in. You go to community college, did that rattle your confidence or were you standing strong being like, I'll just apply again? Or like, how did that make you feel and how did that affect your actions at that time?
1: I mean, it definitely shook my confidence, but what what actually kind of turned it around was I had gotten a letter offering me a chance to go to a a preparatory school. And it was like, Mm. you go to this prep school for six months, then you go to community college for a semester, and then you reapply. Mm. And my sister, one of my sisters, just happened to be home. And I was just kind of telling her about the letter. And she made this offhanded comment. She said, if women had been allowed at the Air Force Academy when I was applying to colleges, I would have done anything to apply. And I don't think she was saying it to motivate me or for any other reason other than that was just something that had been an opportunity she didn't have. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, wow. And that completely changed my trajectory and made me even more motivated to go there, more ready to prove my guidance counselor wrong, but also kind of to do it for my sister. Um, Now, fortunately, I loved, I would do the Air Force Academy over in a heartbeat before I ever did high school over again. Really? Yeah, I loved it, but. um, Yeah,
0: what's it like? I mean, most people will never experience sort of what the Air Force Academy or any sort of, military academy I don't even know anything about it so I'd love to (laughs) I'd love to hear about like what that journey was like for you
1: um it it for me it was good because it gave me direction when I was a little bit directionless Mm. um but it teaches you a lot of discipline and the basic idea behind it is your freshman year they're just kind of break you down as an individual so they can build you up as a team so you learn a lot about teamwork and camaraderie and and um, just that esprit de corps kind of thing, but it's also a leadership laboratory. So, your sophomore, junior, senior year, you're acting as, you know, a superior for the freshman class, and then the classes beneath you. So, you learn a lot about what kind of leadership styles work and don't work. And it, so I always call it a leadership laboratory. But I was mm-hmm. also going through. Um, before you were allowed to be gay in the military. And I also knew I was gay. And so, so there was that whole thing, Ugh, you know? I
0: didn't even, I didn't even think about that. How, how, what, how <laughs> did that, that is really hard because you were trying to be authentically yourself yeah. and people, it's not, it's it wasn't allowed. La- like you couldn't be out, like what was the protocol around that? You couldn't be out well, and ga- in gay?
1: I mean, so- out in, in the military? Yeah, correct. So in fact, when I, uh, my last medical physical, before I went off to the Air Force Academy, the guy asked you, you know, and it's really supposed to be formality. He says, you have any criminal, uh, criminal problems? I'm like, no, sir. You have any, uh, drug issues? No, sir. And he asked me this, he, this is the way he asked it. He said, do you have any problems with homosexuality? And I said, mm, no, sir. I'm, I'm thinking I'm very good at it. You know, I'm very good at the gay stuff. But, um, what, I knew what he was asking and so there was like this little bit of an integrity but the way he asked it i said no i don't have any problems with homosexuality so then i went through the academy and you know i had a girlfriend in high school i had a girl you know you just yeah. everything's kind of on the down low and you learn who you can trust um and then it wasn't till so i graduated in 93 and then it wasn't until 2011 when the policy changed they had they had don't ask don't tell which is you can right. you could be gay but just you know we don't want to know about it and um, it wasn't prosecuted. And then 2011, it got all repealed. And then it ended up where I ended up marrying. Um, so my girlfriend and I were at the time, it was 2005, it was still mm-hmm. illegal. We were roommates. And then um, 2011, it ah. became legal. And then we got married in 2013. And she actually retired with my last name. So in one career, we went from you couldn't even serve, you couldn't serve openly, we could serve we got married and we now have the same last name
0: so. is she also in the military
1: she's retired uh, we're both retired colonel pilots now oh so my we're both retired. god yeah so
0: Congra- but one, again, one congratulations on that that's you. a huge you. huge accomplishment but no go ahead what were you gonna say
1: but you know again it was for us we never made we weren't like in there waving a flag or anything like that and we weren't playing it straight but at the same time it was that was just one aspect one label of who we were right. and like, just be a good person, do your damn job, and that's all anybody expects of you. So
0: Right, right. But then it's like, then it goes back to like, well, how am I supposed to express myself fully? Right. I mean, you can't. You couldn't. Right. Yeah. You know? Um, and then how does that manifest in you for the rest of your life? Like, yes, now uh you can serve openly, but I'm sure the fact that you couldn't while you were there. Affect affected you even after you got out. I mean, I don't know. I I don't know yeah. how that affects you, but like I can imagine that it does take a toll on your confidence when people are telling you you can't be who you are.
1: Right, right. But I think you know? I, I think our in our history of our whole mankind, people have been told they can't do something. Again, you know, whether it's you can't do this or you can't touch the hot stove or any any of those things, we get told all these things and. Mm-hmm we either believe them or we challenge mm. them and so those they become self-limiting beliefs if you mm. if you believe that so it's kind of overcoming that and and you have to choose what you believe in and yeah. and then follow it
0: yeah um man that's that's big you talked a little bit about teamwork and i'm wondering how you talked about teamwork and leadership and i'm wondering how those two words play in are those two um whatever the definition of those two words, how that plays into confidence. Like how does leadership and teamwork play into confidence or does it not in your experience?
1: I think it does. I I mean, I think part of the teamwork part and how that leads into confidence is, you know, sometimes you you have to fake it till you make it. And sometimes Mm. you're with somebody, like if you ever like go into a haunted house and if you go in by yourself, it's one thing, but if you have somebody on either side of you, it's a completely different experience and it's not as frightening. And it's Mm -hmm. it's having that, it's just, even if that person is just as scared as you are, it's just the comfort of having somebody right next to you. um, It does something for your confidence. I'm sure there's some psychological somatosensory thing about endorphins and contact or something, but yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah.
0: But it's like having a good community of people around you to lean on for support gives you confidence.
1: Right. And then you're there for them too. And I think there's, you know, some people are givers and some people's are takers. And then I think there's this equilibrium somewhere in the whole realm of things that, you know, sometimes you're given and sometimes you're taken and sometimes it's 99 one for the relationship and sometimes it's 50, 50, and sometimes it's one in 99. If my math adds up, (laughs) I'm only half Asian, so I'm not really good at the math. But
0: yeah, Um, Did you during your time at the air force Academy or I guess, okay, wait, I need, I don't know enough about the Air Force Academy. So when you graduate, then what happens?
1: So you graduate and even English majors graduate with a bachelor's of science because we take so much STEM as our core curriculum. So it's a four-year institution. Everybody graduates with their BS. And then you go in, uh, depending on where the Air Force needs you into what job you go. And you have some say, like if you're really high up with your grades and your military performance, you have some say, I ended up going to pilot training. And so pilot training is one year and then, then you again. It's always needs of the Air Force. So if the right. Air Force needs um, that year, they needed 225 pilots, and I was lucky to get one of those slots. Um, wow. So some people go to med school. Some people go to be physical therapists, occupational therapists, history teachers. That some people go on to get their masters. They have some Rhodes Scholars. So it just depends on what opportunities yeah. are available. So yeah
0: did 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 you find your time at the Air Force Academy? Did it Build your. I mean, it sounds like it might've knocked your confidence at first and then built it back up. Um, is that, would you say that that's probably what happened or how did, what was your confidence like in when, during your time at the Air Force Academy?
1: It, it definitely built my confidence there. I think I started realizing, getting a better sense of who I was then. And like, did you ever meet in high school? Like you meet these, some people and they, they just seem like they have it all figured out. And I and still I, meet
0: people like that. And I'm like, I, yeah, I'm
1: like, <laughs> how do you, and, and you never know some, some of those people are, are, uh, they're faking it too, you 1,000%. Know, and, they're just, and, and they're just faking it well enough for us to believe it. But, yeah. um, um, I just wasn't one of those people in high school and I wasn't comfortable in my own skin and it it's taken me a long time to get there. But I think at the academy or, you know, what, if I was in college anyway, it just, that's when I started realizing that a I was different, but B everybody's different and it was a matter of embracing your quirk and, uh, becoming friends with your quirk and, uh, naming your cork and all that stuff and just being okay with that.
0: How, so you said you you were learning how to be comfortable in your own skin. Um, what are some ways that helped you become comfortable? Like, do you remember any instances or like specific things that helped you become comfortable in your own skin? Or was it just simply getting older and spending more time outside of your comfort zone or what are some of the things that you would say helped you become comfortable in your own skin
1: i think the biggest thing is realizing what you can control um yes i'm a, I'm a huge control freak but i've also realized that there's there's some things that are out of my control i i, mem- I remember when i was in uh uh i was oh i think it was five or six i was in i was in a christian elementary or a kindergarten school, mm-hmm. but I remember every day uh, we, my family and I had gone to Hawaii, I came back and I tanned really easily. Mm-hmm. But every day for two weeks after I got back from that trip, these two second graders during recess would, would just beat me up and they put me in this big concrete pipe and they would stand at either end and just push me and they would call me the N-word, they call me black because I was tanning so dark, you know, and looking back on that now, I realized that those kids weren't prejudiced. They had inherited that mindset from their parents because they weren't thinking for themselves. But it was also, I was tan, I wasn't black, but that's what they were calling me, and beating me up because of that. And it was like I can't control them. I can't control my pigmentation. I can't control what they think about me. And so it was just a matter of, you know, kind of I don't remember how I reacted to them. I, I didn't fight back or anything like that. I was just kind of like, well, this yeah. is what's happening at a recess. But I think you can control like I can't control my skin. I can control maybe putting long sleeves over it, but I shouldn't have to hide that, No, but I can control how I react to that and what I do with their reaction. And I've I've learned a lot less, you know, irritates me anymore. It's just, again, it's all this, all this sensory stuff comes in and you can either get all frustrated about it. You can be just completely apathetic about it, or you can just figure out, you know, calibrate your response on, you know, what can you control and what's really in the realm of getting worked up over
0: yeah. And when it comes down to it, it's like, we don't really have control over much. Like yeah. <laughs> it's mostly even the things that we think we have control over. It's like mostly an illusion anyway. And right. it's like, right, and so it's like learning to accept that. And then mm-hmm. like you said, calibrate your response to it. I love how you worded that calibrate your response to what's going on around you. Um, yeah, man. Okay. So you graduate the Air Force and you become a pilot. Mm-hmm. What is pilot training like? How does that shape who you are? How does that affect your confidence? Now all of a sudden you're in control of a gigantic mechanical machine that weighs tons of pounds. I don't know. I don't know what I'm yeah. talking about. I'm not yeah, sure. Yes, do not you're a perfect. perfect. <laughs> but you play um, one on TV, so it's perfect. Great, 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 great. Uh but now you're in control of this big piece of equipment in your life and other people's lives. And like, yeah. that's huge. That's yeah. a huge responsibility. So how did that affect your confidence? What was that process like?
1: I think that one of the, the best takeaways I got, just like kind of, we were talking at the very beginning of this yeah. about how we didn't know how to do a podcast. And it's was like this editing software and all this stuff you figure out, my equivalent to that was, So I flew the C-5, which was a, um, it's a huge, um, cargo, uh, cargo aircraft. It's like the one that holds up tanks and all this other stuff. Holy
0: shit. When you
1: first get in there, I I mean, it's overwhelming the cockpit switches and dials. And I'm like, I'm never going to figure this out. But then it was like, you sit in there and it's not like they just throw you in there and go, okay, go fly and, you know, put people's lives at risk. But, Mm -hmm. you know, you go through this training, but you also learn that there's two sets of controls. So one for the pilot, one for the co-pilot. Okay. So I can take the cockpit and cut it in half. And then there's four, in- there's four engines, and so there's a lot of duplicate or quadruplicate instrumentation mm-hmm. for each engine. So I can now cut that by 75%. And so I think once you do that, you can kind of go, okay, let's learn these, let's learn these. And I realize those are duplicates, and everything over here is the same thing over here. And I think about my analogy to life is a lot of times we look at this big daunting task, and it's like sitting in the cockpit for the first time. It's like no one expects you to fly the plane perfectly the first time. It's breaking it down. It's figuring out, okay, what microphone do I need? All right, what is a good one? Then you ask people, what's a good microphone? What works for me? What works for my setup? Okay, what kind of headphones do I need? What kind of editing software? And there's tons of options, tons of ways to do that. But how we get there and the process we take to break it down, because some people can look at this whole thing and and go, oh, I need that microphone, that that setup and this and then are done. But it's breaking it down and looking at those huge tasks that can be daunting and making them into manageable bites
0: yeah. I was going to say manageable pieces. Yep. Um, yeah, because it's like, and I think there's also a group of people who will look at something new and daunting and be like, I can't do it and yep. then not do it. And, yep. you know, I've, I think we've all been there at some point where we've seen yeah. a big task and we're like, oh, I can't do this thing. Um, yeah. but remembering all the times that we have done it or like Maybe not as big, but a different version of a new yeah. thing, and and remembering like, oh wait, yes, I, I can get this done. I did this before, so right. I know I can do this. It's also like gaining that um, skill of trusting yourself. I think right. is so big um, right. with when it has to come when it comes to do with confidence. It's like trusting your skills, trusting right. your abilities, trusting your training. Um,
1: Well, and trusting, trusting the confidence you have in yourself that you have done something similar to that. Right. Like this, like we're talking about this podcast, it's like, you know, there was a time when you didn't know that you needed this and this and this, but now you do. And you look back on that, like, and those decisions may have seemed daunting at the time, but now you look back and I'm like, that was nothing. And so that gives you confidence for the next Next thing. Yeah. have Have you seen that? There's a really cool video. It's like a 16 minute video, but it's mesmerizing. It was done by the Swedes and it's, videotaping these people up on a 10 meter platform to jump into a pool
0: and it's all the
1: perseverations they go through about not wanting to jump and jumping and and everybody's on the edge and like nope can't do it and then some people have another person up there and going i'll go if you go and like don't talk to me but it's it's a really fast i'll I'll email it to you later but it's a really fascinating um just watching people kind of go through this it's they're not gonna die it's 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 30 feet up but it's it's a daunting task that just takes one step
0: (laughs) yeah that's a really interesting i'm so glad someone filmed that because that's like such an interesting scene to watch unveil and i'm sure parallels like different instances in life beautifully um yeah that's so interesting um i can't believe you flew a plane that held a tank (laughs) inside of the plane
1: that's but here's the cool thing. So about the, the C-5 um, it's made by Lockheed, the Lockheed C-5 galaxy, the Wright brothers first flight. The very first one that was like 10 seconds long could have happened in the cargo compartment of our plane.
0: Oh my God. Isn't that cool. That's like, Oh, that that's is awesome. so cool. That's such a good, that's such a good party fact. Um, Oh, I got I one more, one, one
1: more really yes, cool. Yes, fact. So it's got I need 28, all of them. Tw- 28 tires, the air in the tires weighs 181 pounds. <laughs>
0: That is in my head so scary that you have to maneuver.
1: something. Wait, that I hard- had to maneuver or because anybody had to maneuver it? Anybody. You call me a bad driver? Anybody. No, <laughs> no.
0: no. I actually mean me, <laughs> me, imagining me having to maneuver something with 28 wheels that carries a tank is absolutely wild to me. Um. And I'm, did that still like give you confidence in other areas of life? Were you like, well, if I can fly a plane that holds a tank, I can do this other thing. Like, no, like- I even- wish,
1: <laughs> I, I wish, <laughs> I, w- I wish it gave me more confidence, but it's like every task is, is different in its own way. And so some of those things, it's like, well, if I could fly a plane, yeah, I could maybe fly a smaller plane, but not like I can fly a plane so I can, you know, jump out of a plane or something, they're just yeah. different tasks, but no, I, I, I wish it like, gave me more confidence. I feel like I would
0: be like, if I could fly a plane that holds a tank and then, and then I'm thinking of like small tasks that give me anxiety, like calling to schedule a doctor's appointment. I'm like, that would be, <laughs> that would be nothing because I just flew a plane with a tank in it. So I could call a doctor, to make a doctor's appointment, no problem. <laughs> That's a little insight into what but, I mean, anxiety. you know, th- but
1: think about like, Think about some of the things that you do that probably give people other people anxiety yeah. right so like like as a public speaker or doing improv yeah i mean to go up on a stage with people watching people paying to watch and having no script and then that would stress people out so yeah right. so you know it's the same thing it's just like there's confidence in something that you're that you're passionate about yeah. yeah yeah yeah
0: okay so then you join so now okay now in the timeline of your life you're in the air force right mm-hmm. okay you experience anything during that time that shakes your confidence that knocks you down and that you have to recover from?
1: Oh, a lot.
0: (laughs) Is there anything that comes like anything you feel comfortable talking about that comes to mind?
1: A lot. Yeah. So so I'll tell you, I'll tell you one of my favorite stories. So this, this actually happened three times in three separate planes. Um, so, um, one of the things you do when you're becoming a pilot and you get comfortable with a certain plane is it's called a stall. So basically, what it means is you're gonna you point the nose of the plane to the sky and you starve the aircraft of airspeed. And what it, it's a confidence movement to teach you that the plane will always seek a flying attitude. But in order to do that, you you point the plane straight up, you pull back on the power, and you just let the plane fall out of the sky. I mean, that's essentially what's happening. And so when you do that, the I know, right? So the plane will eventually just it'll get its nose down, but sometimes it goes nose down. And so my very first time, my instructor who's sitting right next to me said, the plane will just go nose down. Okay. Well, that first time the plane went right wing down. So it was up and then it was supposed to go straight down and it went to the right. I grabbed his leg. (laughs) I didn't let go because I was so scared. I was like, because he was demonstrating the whole, how do you get out of it and stuff. And so I'm holding his leg and I don't even realize it. So I'm a young cadet, you know, young girl cadet holding this this officer grown man's leg in the plane where there's no witnesses, you know. Um, So the the short version is I ended up letting go and I did it in two other planes because, you know, different kinds of stalls. But what the, the analogy that I pulled from that is that there are things when we're learning new skill sets, whether it's stalling a plane or doing improv or doing podcasting that we rely on maybe grope or hang on to somebody else for a little bit. But at some point we have to put our hands on our own controls and do it ourselves. <laughs> but, um, and some of it is just giving yourself the grace to like, yeah, I grabbed your leg. I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> yeah. Grace, giving yourself grace is huge. And is one of that No, not easy. And one other person I talked to used that same phrase and, I, I didn't spend a lot of time thinking about it before he brought it up. And I was like, Oh, extending yourself grace is huge. Like, I just love how that's phrased. It yeah. makes complete sense. Mm-hmm. Um, that is so crazy. Okay. Off topic. Should I be scared uh, during turbulence in a commercial flight? No. Wow. No.
1: The plane always wants to fly. So turbulence is natural and the plane and the wings are actually, they're, they're going to flex a little bit and, and they're, they're doing that. And also when you get into turbulence, the pilot will set a turbulence penetration speed. Um, and so it's it's structurally, the engineers will determine what speed that aircraft does the best when it's getting jostled around like that. Mm. So it's just hitting those pockets of air, those little potholes in the sky. But even if the plane, you know, kind of loses its its airflow under the wing, the plane aerodynamically always wants to fly so i always tell my friends the plane wants to fly that's all you have to say and the plane that's- will always seek that flying attitude
0: that's good to know i'm not a good flyer so like just oh. hearing you explain a stall is just like a nightmare to me it sounds so scary um so you were never you've never been afraid of flying then
1: oh i'm afraid all the time <laughs> <laughs> so, especially if I'm flying, no, but no, but I mean, you know, a lot of it goes back to the control freak stuff. Like, so Jen right. and I will, Jen and I will be flying, and we're like, we're like, he's gonna bounce the landing, he's gonna bounce it, add power, add power, and we're like, oh, you know, but yeah, but that's so cool. Maybe it's you... because we're judgmental, not control yeah, freaks. Right yeah, now. maybe that's
0: cool <laughs> that you have that knowledge and you can be like. He's bouncing. What did you say? Bounce the landing? He's going to bounce the landing. Yeah. Yeah. He's going to bounce the landing. I'm going to say that from now on when I fly to like give myself ease. I'm going to be like, he's going to bounce the landing. (laughs) He's going to bounce it. Um, Is there something that you, I'm sure the answer is yes. Because everybody has like a quote unquote failure in their, either their careers or their personal lives that taught them a lesson that helped them to grow. I have. Quite a few um right. is there any <laughs> we all do is there anything that you can think of where you like quote-unquote failed and then you overcame it
1: I, I think most of my successes started out as a failure and that's i think so good to remember I, you know what i think you know we should be so fortunate that we have a lot of failures because i think that's where the growth happens the growth happens in that discomfort and it happens in that failure um if you choose to learn from it i i, I have plenty of failures whether it's grabbing somebody's leg in the cockpit or, you know, um, but, but really it's just about figuring out what, what the lesson is from that, um, and finding that beauty in the imperfection and, and figuring out, okay. And even things that we do well and do right. I think there's still lessons to learn either to repeat it or to figure out how you could have done it better. Mm -hmm. Um, so I love, I just love curiosity and wanting to do things better or faster or smoother or some kind of superlative. (laughs) <laughs> of improvement um the next time so yeah just being curious about how you can do it again replicate it or do it better
0: yeah did you face any um challenges from your peers being a woman in the air force i ask as a as a fellow woman like yeah i can i don't know anything about the industry but or that um sector of life and yeah. if there is like misogyny within it or not or if you can even talk about it i don't know
1: yeah no i i can absolutely talk about it i don't have a lot of experience have any negative i don't have any i was always prepared for that so the the very first plane i flew out of pilot training um wasn't the big c5 it was a smaller plane down in south america and i was the first um female pilot no it was actually the only female pilot they ever had down there and so i went down like kind of armed with all this I was ready to confront them if they you know said having a penis would make you a better pilot or something right 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 but all they cared about is that you're a good pilot and you're a good crew member so i went down and i was a good pilot and i was a good crew member and that's all that no i had a lot of there was people on the radio that wouldn't answer me because we were down in south america and all the machismo they wouldn't answer me and stuff but um
0: wait what does that mean like what does that mean? Like if you're
1: wouldn't. making a if you're making a radio call like calling a tower or something like that if if I wasn't making the radio calls there are some some segment segments where they wouldn't answer me um, because they it's didn't dangerous. A lot of them did. Well, yeah, but then I could just have I could either lower my voice or have my my, yeah,
0: but you my have to lower. You're going to have to well, lower your voice or get a male counterpart to do that. You
1: get, well, so I was flying into Ecuador one time we we took the very first um US plane into Ecuador one time in this teeny tiny little field. And the guy's marshalling us in and he starts freaking out and he's like waving 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 he's like shut down shut down We're like okay so my i stayed in the plane and my aircraft commander got out and he went and talked to the because he spoke spanish and basically the guy was freaked out because he looked in the cockpit and when my aircraft commander went out he's like captain your other pilot it is a woman like that was what he was freaked out about like and but he had never seen a female pilot like they that was that was not an expectation. It, like even the word pilot in, in Spanish is, is a male word. It's piloto. There is no right. female version of it. So, wow. you know, it's not, and again, I can't control that. I can't control his response. I can control my response to mm-hmm. his reaction. So it was kind of like, yeah, so there you go. Let's take a picture. Let's, you know, mm-hmm. it is what it is. I'll give you but an I, autograph. My, you don't yes, have to yes.
0: ask. I'll i my screw it. Yeah. <laughs>
1: I'll sign my own bra. No, but I mean, it was, I never had any issues with my peers or, or I was very lucky and I, there's a lot of females in the military who, who did have problems and I, I Jen and I both never had any problems. Um, and again, I just bring it back to just be a good person, do your damn job.
0: So, yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, I don't know if That's all it was or. If I was too stupid to realize there was misogyny all around, <laughs> yeah. Who knows? Who just knows? Fine. In the it world just, everybody's you. offended by something,
0: so. <laughs> um, okay, so you were in the Air Force, and then how many years did you say
1: you were in the Air Force for? They had Twenty-five.
0: Wow, that's incredible! And then you retired, mm-hmm. on and then April Fool's Day. Ooh, on purpose. Classic. Yeah. So that was. Yeah. Just three years ago. So, yeah. Oh my God. Three years ago. Okay. So what was that transition? Like, I'm always interested in these like turning points in people's lives because that's when usually either shit hits the fan or right. we, we step into this new part of ourselves that we didn't know existed before yeah. in these large turning points. So retiring after 25 years is huge. So yeah. what were the feelings around that day or that moment? And, and, how did that affect the past three years
1: i did not want to retire because i was i was i was a colonel when i retired and the next rank was general and i'd always wanted to be a general and the military was all i ever knew um and so i didn't want to retire that was that was my whole identity and so for the first three days after i retired i was i was kind of bitchy kind of pissed off you know and i don't know what happened but it was just there was like this freedom. And again, this, this being comfortable in your own skin and realizing this is what I can control. I The Air Force is no longer my identity, but realizing that I was more than just the Air Force, that I was more than a Colonel or a pilot or any of those labels um, and realizing that now I could script my own future. I mean, and again, realizing that what happens is within my control. So I can either choose to go get another job or not get a job or you know, make my own business or whatever. So. Um, just the speaking thing, just kind of one thing led to another. And I said yes to one opportunity, which led me to meeting somebody who introduced, you know, you know, how these little chains of the, these little connections that we make in our life. It's awesome. It's awesome.
0: Yeah. These like, it. it's always so lovely when it happens, like these little breadcrumbs that like happened earlier in your life and they're coming full circle. And you're like, "Mm, I didn't know that when I met that person that they would be eventually become this person to me or you know, Great callbacks of life. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. The callbacks of life. That's a good phrase. That's a good improv <laughs> phrase. Um, uh, improv rules are life rules. That's my yes favorite. And. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh my God. This is the improv nerdiest conversation I've had yes! so far. <laughs> um, uh, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah. Um, what does retirement look like for the Air Force? Like it's not it's not an option. You just have to do it or you get to choose what or how does that work
1: at some point. So um, usually retirement happens at the 20 year point. That's when you have the option to retire. Otherwise, it's just called separating. So you, you just leave the service Um and it can be based on not getting promoted at the right ranks or you know screwing up or murdering too many people or it just depends Jesus. on what yeah well you know but if if you if you um, it depends on your rank too so there are some there are actually laws in the statutory US code that basically say if you're this rank you can only do this many years and oh. so a lot of it again depends on needs of the air force so if you know sometimes if they have too many biologists they may say okay if you're a biologist and you want to leave early, you can leave at 17 years instead of waiting till 20. So, but yeah, so I got to 20 and it was still fun and I was still having a good time. So Mm. I just kept in. So Jen did 26 years and I did 25.
0: So, wow. Also that's like, that's so, I can't imagine. Like that's so interesting that you, so you get into the job and you know that the amount of years is probably going to be around 20, give or take, depending on what the needs are at the time. It's interesting that it's like it's not in your control another thing that's like not in your control right. it's like written into whatever the statutes that you, statutes that you just mentioned right and so it's like oh i don't even really get to control when i'm done with this thing
1: yeah or where you live or who you oh, work yeah. with yeah 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 so yeah, you move around quite a bit in fact yeah so it's it's kind of you're kind of used every two or three years you're ready to move and it's like okay we're, it's we're ready <laughs> so how
0: many how many times have you moved
1: oh i don't know uh, at least a dozen. I don't know. I, Whoa. I came back from Germany. Jen did way more. She was in Okinawa and, you know, Whoa. we do time in Alabama and Florida and Texas and California. So it just depends.
0: How does, how does that affect, like, did you like traveling? Was it hard uprooting every couple of years? Cause like when you talk to therapists about, um, like big life transitions, moving is one of them. Yeah. And the fact that you move every two to three years has some sort of impact on you, right? Yeah, Whether it's yeah. positive or not.
1: Well, it's it's, it's good for spring cleaning because you're like, oh, I haven't seen that thing in two years, so I guess yeah. I don't need it, or I've missed. I've been looking for that thing for two <laughs> years, but that's true. Yeah, but some of it is just, um, it, I I know. So I grew up in this this actually this house right here, but uh, so I never moved until I went to college, and then there's some of my friends who in the military have kids, and their kids are growing up in a life where they move every two years. I'm I'm always curious what that's like for them because those are the ones who have to, you know, get their social circles back and forth versus, you know, like as an adult, just that's just part of the job. But mm-hmm. as a kid, they're not, they didn't sign up for that. So those are the ones hey. I kind of, I kind of wonder about. But hey. for me, it was, it's just like a new adventure. And, you know, sometimes you're sad to leave a place and sometimes you're like, yeah, it's time. <laughs> so. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I feel like I would like that. Cause I like, I like, I don't like being stuck in the same place, place for too long. So I feel yeah. like that would be something that I'd be a fan of, but you're right. Like as a kid growing up, that's like the formative years, right? That's yeah. like when all the lessons are being learned. So yeah, I'm curious you. I've talked to a, I've talked to a couple of people whose parents were in the military and they mm. moved around quite a bit and they definitely, it definitely impacted them. Um, sure. yeah. Okay. So then you retired and what made you, I know you said like what you said, yes to one, one thing and that sort of snowballed into this new career of being an anecdotist and a speaker. Um, yeah. uh, What made you want to pick this path as opposed to like any other path you could have picked, but you want, you wanted to use this time to talk to people, be a speaker, help people. Um, Why?
1: Um, A a good friend of mine was getting ready to retire from the Air Force to go be a speaker. And I was, he he was speaking at a, a base I was at and I was talking to him. He went up and spoke and then he came back and we hung out. And I'm thinking, this is a thing, like, this is something we can do because i don't i this is, sounds really weird i don't like being the center of attention but i do like to tell stories and i love making people laugh if it's one-on-one or in a group um and when i thought that and i also think there's lessons in everyday opportunities and, and everything we there, there are lessons everywhere and if you're willing to see them and willing to learn from them and i, I just like the idea of telling a story, almost like telling a joke, but a really long joke, but like telling a story, but have it be from something that happened so that you can help somebody else see, give them a perspective to find the humor and the lessons in their own everyday lives. Because Mm -hmm. we all do plenty of stupid shit that helps us, you know, see, see our life and see our opportunities uh, differently.
0: Yeah. So was that scary doing your first like public speaking event coming from, because you're coming from the air force, which I don't know. Did you do any public speaking during that time or? Yeah, you do.
1: You have to get up and brief things, you know, and yeah. PowerPoint behind you and stuff. But um, Was it an easy
0: transition going from from one career to the this, this new one? Or what was that
1: like? It was a lot more natural than I thought. And mm-hmm. I never would have thought that um, I would feel comfortable on a stage in a spotlight, but there's something that happens that is so life giving and I, I, I I feel like I black out sometimes, so I, I I got to do a TED talk. But again, you talk yeah, about being prepared. On. I had had probably thirty seven versions, and I stole my note cards. And I I my uh, my coach actually put a joke back in the night before I I came. I'm talk, but there's something that happened when I got on stage, and I had done it so many times, and um my best friend actually went with me to Ohio for the, for the Ted talk and we got done and she goes, Oh, so cute. She goes, I loved how you saluted at the end. I'm like, I, what? She goes, yeah, you, you saluted at the end. I'm like, Katie, I, what do you mean? I saluted? She goes, I don't know. You stood up and you saluted when people were clapping. I'm like, Oh God, you know, <laughs> like, don't remember any of that. It, it is on video. So I'm like, Oh, I guess she's yep, right. But, uh, but, uh, you know, there's, it, 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 it comes back to that preparation thing. And, and again, yeah. I think because I had prepared for so many, I mean, hundreds of hours of rehearsal and right. just practicing and practicing and practicing that when you're up there in that moment, you can appreciate, like I can remember where people were sitting. I can remember seeing things because you, everything else is on autopilot. So you can enjoy that moment. And there's something to be said about being so prepared and being ready for the what ifs that you've already what if them that you can enjoy that moment I think there's a lot more joy that comes from that um I'm I'm also not a fly by the seat of your pants kind of person I can't just get up and wing it um Mm -hmm. you know I've thought about all these things ahead of time so yeah I just think it helps you enjoy the moment
0: yeah that's what I wrote down um but like that's so crucial like be prepared do the work ahead of time so that you can let it go in the moment Um, Right, right which is like when I went to theater school, it's like exactly what they teach you. It's like you prep at home, you do your homework at home, so that you have the freedom, like you said. You said you're on your those things are on autopilot right. now. So right. now you can like really connect. You know, if if you're doing a speak, if you're speaking, you can connect with your audience or mm-hmm. whatever the thing is. But you can really be in the moment because you've already done the work ahead of time, and right. now your job is to just let it go yeah. um, and trust. Um, is yeah. there anything that I, now that we're starting to wrap up? Is there anything that I didn't touch on that like you really, really want to talk about, uh, no, this, this is a new fantastic. question that I'm asking is like, is there something that I missed that that's really like on your heart that you want to talk about, but
1: no, this has been, this has been fantastic. I think just to, to talk about something that I don't think people talk, I don't think people talk about this a lot. Like, what is confidence have you always been confident you know i i think how do you get more of it and and how do other people feel about it it's been really really eye-opening so i i'm very grateful for this and yeah just it's a pleasure to be able to talk to you finally i've been listening you've been in my ears for the past couple weeks So it's
0: it's (laughs) uh well thanks thank you for listening um do you like my last question before i kind of read my bullet points here is were you ever told anything or have you ever imparted any little nuggets of wisdom, um, whether you received it or you told it to somebody else, like any like mantras or key phrases. I think the main thing from this interview that I'm taking is like this, this preparedness, like being Mm -hmm. prepared so that you can be in the moment. Um, but if there's anything else that you've heard that has like helped you over the years with your confidence, please let us know.
1: With my confidence. I don't know, but I, uh, the life best, the best compliment I ever got was from a 10 year old when I was a camp counselor but this 10 year old said to me they said mo if I never grow up I want to be just like you and I thought obsessed damn isn't that awesome yeah. because it, and I think that life is too short to not laugh and that's why I say I want to I want to laugh and I want to learn and I want to think every day because life is just too, too short to take it seriously and to worry about the things that we can't control. Uh, Mm -hmm. So just don't grow up. And so I I think everybody grows old, not everybody grows up. But I've seen some 80 year old people who who are living like a 30 year old. And I've seen some 30 year olds acting like 80 year olds. So Mm -hmm. it's age is a number and just and just live it. I love it.
0: I love that you distill it down to those three pillars, laugh, learn and think. Mm -hmm. I think those are I, I, that resonates with me a lot. Like those are three values that I also share, but I had never distilled it down into like those three words. And so just like seeing that on my paper, I like love that. Um, I forgot to ask you and I want to ask you this really quick. Um, routine, do you have like a routine that you do every day or like, do you have, do you live in a structured world where like routine is beneficial to you and your mental state? Um, it sounds like you don't like to fly by the seat of your pants. So I assume that you might have like, uh, some sort of a routine I don't know you tell me
1: I wish I had a routine I just I, we're we just sold one house we just bought another one yesterday oh, so you're in the middle I, of a shakeup oh, then yeah but I'll tell you the one thing I do if I'm ever feeling like in a shitty mood yes, or yes. if if I need just to be cheered up I have this one 10 minute blo- uh, reel of bloopers that's on YouTube and it's anchor people in fact, I watched it today just because I just wanted to be on this, this happy, joyous space, but it's a 10 minute reel of, for some reason it's news anchors, but just laughing and just uncontrollably, you know, like you get the giggles and you've just lost yeah. it. Yeah. I don't know what it is. I just am laughing along with them and it just crack. I mean, it's other people's misfortune, but um, yeah. I just, anything that makes me laugh, it just, that's all I need. I just, I live for those, like just laughing moments uncontrollably especially too
0: yeah and like how cool is it that you know that about yourself it's like you that's another thing that's like uh, twofold it's like first you have to recognize that you're not in the best mood which is not easy for everyone to recognize like what mental state they're currently in Mm -hmm. so first you have to recognize that and then you have to go okay what can I do to change that and then you have to find what you're looking for to change it so it's like the fact that you have that sort of in your toolkit to go yeah, to when you
1: yeah. need it, it's like,
0: it sounds like it's super helpful. Um,
1: yeah, oh, so people, find your blooper reel, whatever, I know whatever I wrote that, wrote that down. reel. Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> okay, I'm gonna uh, recap and please okay. correct me if I'm wrong. Ch- I don't wanna mess up any of your intentions. Love a good note. Okay. Uh, trusting and knowing that you're more than your labels. Prepare, pre-think, pivoting, by definition, that's what I had to do on this episode. Um, when my internet went down. Okay, make your own family if you need to. Try again. Prove the naysayers wrong. Challenge the status quo. Sometimes fake it till you make it. Have a good community around you. Uh, balance in the give and take to that community. Realize who you are. Remember to embrace your quirk. Realize what you can and cannot control. Calibrate your response. Break. A big, daunting past into manageable pieces. Trust yourself. Give yourself grace. Most successes, remember, most successes start out as failures. Learn from your failures. Find the lesson. Stay curious. Uh, be a good person and do good work. You're more than your career. You're more than your label. There are lessons everywhere. Be prepared. Do the work so you can let it go in the moment. Laugh, learn, and think, and find yourself a good blooper reel.
1: <laughs> I love it. Well
0: Ooh. done! That was awesome. That was a lot. Two the <laughs> stages. Uh, uh, anything you want to change or add at all?
1: No, ma'am. That was perfect. Cool. Cool. This was well, thank so you. much fun,
0: Rebecca. Um, I always absolutely love doing these. So thank you so much for your time. Sorry about my internet snafu. Oh, nice. Snafu no is nice. that the right word? Snafu. Is. Yeah,
1: it's okay. an acronym, right? I
0: don't know.
1: <laughs> it is. I'm telling you, it is. Situ- situation normal, all fucked up. No. Snafu.
0: That's so good to know. Okay. Um, I had no idea that was an acronym. What's, Do you know Bohica too? No, what?
1: Bohica. B-O-H-I-C-A. Bend over here, it comes again. No. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'll do acronyms all day, baby. I know, you have to <laughs> just whip them out, pull them out of your pocket. And they just keep coming, coming. Um, uh, thank you so much for your time. It's been such a treat, such a pleasure. So uh, I really appreciate you giving your, your time and your heart and your soul to this. So thank you so much.
1: Thank you so much.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of How the Fuck Did You Get So Confident? Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. And you can also head over to patreon.com howthefuck for bonus episodes, video content, and more. Thanks again.